0: Amen. Amen. You know, this morning we're going to be starting a new series, and it's called The Practice of Genuine Religion. And it's in uh, Romans chapter 12 through 16. And you know, sometimes people say, Well, I, I want a I want a relationship. I don't want religion. But in this context, I want you to consider you could substitute the word religion for the word faith. Faith. You could substitute that word for conviction. Okay? The practice of genuine faith. The practice of genuine conviction. Okay? What it is that you believe. And really this morning, you know, as we gather uh, together as we always do on the Lord's Day, I love this. I love my church family. I love being with you all. I love worshiping our Lord. I enjoy this time together. And I want to invite you to open up your Bible to the 12th chapter of Romans. And we're going to look at this together. You know, having concluded 11 chapters of profound and thrilling doctrine. I say that because sometimes we look at that depth of doctrine and we think, well, maybe that's boring. But I want you to know something. The Apostle Paul, he wrote a wonderful, thrilling, and inspiring uh, uh, letter here to the Romans. And he defines what God has done for every believer. See, we don't understand that. Sometimes we sell that short. But what Paul is is. When he gets to this chapter, he he does not say, now here's what you need to get. He's not trying to boil it down that way. What he says is, here's what you need to give. See, that's important. That's important. Read with me in our text. I just want to read the first couple of verses. If you have time, you need to read down through verse 21. But the first couple of verses says this. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen to Paul's triple heart check here. The first thing he says, and he asks this question, is your life consecrated? Is it set apart to God? Is your life set apart to God? That's a huge Question. And that's the first question we need to answer. Is your life consecrated? Is it set apart to God? Secondly, are you allowing God to transform you? Because a lot of times we don't want to be transformed. We don't want to be, remade, we don't want to be made new. We don't want the Holy Spirit coming in and challenging those things in our lives that we enjoy. Are you being transformed are you allowing him to transform you? And thirdly, are you evaluating yourself accurately to know how you can best serve others? Folks, that's what we're about, is serving others. And we need to, we need to ask these questions and, and allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. And I want to I pause just for a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to do just that. Loving Father, I thank you that you are with us, that you are always with us. And Holy Spirit, even in this moment, I ask that you would press these questions onto our hearts. Father, that we would see exactly what you are saying to each one of us. God, that you would convict us through your Holy Spirit, that you would guide us into all truth. And Father, we love you. Use this in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, sometimes people have come up to me in in ministry and they've said things that I've heard many times in different ways, but this is kind of what they are saying. They say things like, I just can't seem to live the Christian life, I just can't seem to quite get there. (laughs) I mean, I'm frustrated. They may say things like, I'm frustrated, I don't have victory. There's no sense of accomplishment. And I struggle with the simplest forms of obedience in my walk with Christ. Can you help me? See, the key to spiritual victory is not getting all that you can get. It's giving all that you have. If you want spiritual victory, you need to begin there. See, there's a big difference and literally people are, are coming to churches and, and, and they're, they're seeking out spiritual experiences to get more from God. When the issue is not what they need to get, it's what they need to give. We all need that. That's what the, this, this scripture is, is saying in essence, it's about what you give. I mean, in Romans 1 through 8, Paul developed the theme of God's great plan of salvation. He talked all about that plan of salvation in Romans 1 through 8. And then in, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he confronted the special problem uh, of, of the Jewish unbelief, the reason that, that, that Jews do not believe in Jesus the Messiah. And then in, in chapter 12 through 16, this, this practical section. He encourages that salvation by grace through faith, it compels the believer to consecration to God, to being set apart to God, but also to to Christian conduct towards other people. How many times this week have we responded to someone in an unchristian-like manner? When I say the practice of genuine religion, I'm talking about being filled in the inside so that when we are squeezed, Christ comes out. Folks, that's what we need. See, for Paul, being justified, being justified from the penalty of sin through grace... You know, asking, asking God, to come, Christ to come in and to forgive you, being justified through grace, was unthinkable apart from the transformation that delivers us from the love of sin to the love of our Savior. In other words, if you don't have that transformation, it's going to be hard for you to be justified before the Lord God Almighty. I mean when we when we talk about what grace has done for us we receive that grace through faith it's also true that a redeemed person needs continual encouragement in this life we all need encouragement to live as Christ calls us to live we can't do it on our own we need people to hold us accountable We need people to walk the journey with us. We need that continual encouragement. Because you see, dedication, our dedication to God is never forced. It's voluntary. We live in a country of freedom. And you are free to give your allegiance to whomever you choose. But we choose to give our allegiance voluntarily to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we submit under his lordship. Because that's who we are. We've been redeemed. You know, I, I recognize that we need that encouragement. And even Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, he's in his, his last imprisonment. And, and he wrote this in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. He said, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Through the laying on of my hands, and he was probably acknowledging his own need for continual stirring up of the fire of the zeal for God. Oh, how we need to spur one another on. You know, just what Joel was saying these children in Bible school gave $1,400 to missions. My question is, what have you given? This is incredible. With such joy. Oh, I want to be a part of this. I mean, I know Tracy was working with a group of youngsters. And and as soon as they came in, they said, I want to go give my offering. She says, wait, wait. I want to go. Okay, go. You know. Oh, that we would have that kind of zeal. In working for the Lord. In serving Him. I mean what a great example that we see in these children see every believer needs that encouragement as well as the instruction in Christian living see we call it discipleship it's following others as they walk towards Christ it's seeing those examples and calling them out and walking together towards Christ you know it, it takes time it takes effort And you see, our salvation by grace through faith, it compels us to serve God. I mean, notice the call for full dedication. What does he say there? He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, Encouraging them to put their all on the altar for God. Oh, he says there that we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice. You know, we usually think of something as a sacrifice as being dead. You know, as being dead Uh, under the religious system that would have been familiar to Paul's readers. Animal sacrifices were presented to God and they were consumed by fire on an altar. But no longer is there any need for dead animal sacrifices. (laughs) Jesus Christ has taken care of that for us. You know, in in Romans 10, uh, just back one page in my Bible, verse 4, it says, For Christ is the end, the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the goal. Jesus Christ is the goal to everyone who believes. That we would have him, that he would be in us. And and when we think of a living sacrifice, the call now is to present our bodies as that living sacrifice. I'm talking about your flesh and blood. I'm talking about the the, the wholeness of who you are. I see this because by body, Paul likely means oneself. He says there, present your body. In the New English Bible, it says, your, you, you. Your very selves present your bodies. See, the entire person with the emphasis on the person's interaction with the world. See, all that we as believers do in this life, we do it in our body. We do it in our body. And I think that's huge because this, 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 uh, this present tense. Uh, This verb indicates that the sacrifice is to be once for all. The word present your bodies means once for all. And what what he's saying is all of oneself for all time dedicated to God. All of oneself for all time dedicated to God. See, the key to powerful living is not getting something more, but it's giving all. All we have, let me give you a term you can use. It's being all in with God. All in, whatever it takes. He says living, he also says a holy, because Christians are saints. I've heard people say, I've heard believers say, well I ain't no saint. But that just means you don't understand your position in Christ. That means you do not understand your position in Christ. Uh, Paul calls the Christians in Rome, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, all who are beloved of God in Rome called as saints. You are a saint if you have Jesus Christ in your heart. I love that because we belong to Him. And and, and He is claiming us as His own. And and, and the position of a believer in Christ could be illustrated by having a dot in the middle of a circle. You are completely engulfed in Christ. Another way to think of it is, is maybe in the palm of His hand and you are completely surrounded by Christ. You are in Christ Jesus. You are therefore a saint. You are set apart. You are called out. That's where we get those words that we come up with. Sanctified, meaning set apart. Consecrated, which means set apart. We are in Christ. We're no longer in the world. We are in the world. We're not of the world. Because we belong to Jesus Christ. We are saints. See, as a believer, we are totally engulfed. Totally in God, in Christ. He also says acceptable to God there. I mean, do you remember in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham and his servants were going up the mountain to offer the sacrifice of Isaac? And and he told them, he, he said, this is the first mention that we have of the word worship in God's word, in the Bible. Abraham. He told his servants, he said, we will worship and return to you. So from the very beginning, worship is related to obedience to God, but it also involves the offering of a life to him. When you think about worship, we will go worship and return to you. He's talking about obedience to God, but he's also talking about offering a life to God. Those go together. And that's what Paul is saying here. See, what is the sacrifice that is well pleasing to God? The author of Hebrews he he rightly perceives that there's no inherent merit in animal sacrifices. I mean in Hebrews 10, verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He's talking about. The fact that Jesus is that greater sacrifice. See, many of the prophets in the Old Testament, they taught that a sacrifice would be acceptable to God only as the worshiper was acceptable to God. You remember David, Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart, God will not turn away. He will not despise it. And I I love that because we also see in Micah chapter 6, verse 6 says, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8 says, He has told you, O man... What is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? We're talking about a transformation of our character. That's what's acceptable to God. Not the sacrifices. The obedience. The offering of the life. I mean, in Mark 12, Jesus put it this way. He said, you shall love the Lord your God. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about that. He's saying all of you must love the Lord your God. All of you, all that you are. Your body, your mind, your soul, your strength. But in this passage we see Paul, he talks about our motives for being consecrated, for being set apart to God. Look at this. It says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. That therefore is an arrow pointing backwards and forwards. It's pointing both ways. He's saying, therefore, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. What does Paul mean by that? By the mercies of God. I mean, believers have experienced the mercies of God. Amen? Have we experienced the mercy of God in our life? I mean, and since we've experienced the mercies of God, therefore, he's saying, therefore, we ought to do this. Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. By the mercies of God. So so what are the mercies of God? I don't think it's all that difficult, really. And I believe the mercies of God are everything that God has done for the believer that he has listed in chapters 1 through 11 of Romans. I mean, if you get to the bottom of that, let me know, because it's, it's plumbed pretty deep. Okay? But the mercies of God are so huge and so vast. It's an impressive list. And I want you to walk through with me for just a few moments. And I'll try to make it quick because it is so comprehensive. But think about this. Think about love. Think about God's love that he has given to us. Even in, the, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? So, so God's love is spread generously in our heart. Okay? Okay? We don't come by that naturally. We're selfish individuals. But once we receive Christ, God's love is spread out generously throughout our heart. I love that. It tells us that in Romans 5. But then in Romans 8 it tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That love is tremendous. It cannot be understated. We've also received His grace. Romans 1, 3, 5, 6 talks about His grace that we have received. Grace, grace, grace that we have received. We call it marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Because we've received so much of His grace. All the way through the grace of God... Is his mercy. The mercy of God. What about the Holy Spirit? Chapter 5 tells us about the Holy Spirit. And how we've received the Holy Spirit. And he expands freely in our hearts. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit has... I'm glad that, that the Holy Spirit has domain in my heart. And I hope that he has domain in your heart. Because... You can have as much of him as you want. And I guarantee you, he wants more. He expands generously and freely in our hearts. Chapter 8 tells us that we've received the Holy Spirit who then dwells within us. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is a mercy that is given by God. He has given us his Holy Spirit. And what about peace? I mean, chapter chapter 1, verse 7 talks about how we've received peace. All through, we've received this peace. We have his, His love, His grace, the Holy Spirit, His peace. I am thankful that we have the peace of God. The peace of God is what allows you and I both to sleep at night. I know there's a long list here. Faith. The faith that you have in Him was given to you by God. He draws you. And over 20 times in Romans, Paul talks about faith as being the the mercy of God. And then he talks about comfort and and, and how we've received power and and how we received hope and kindness and patience. Glory and honor and righteousness and forgiveness. Reconciliation being made together with God. We've received justification. All of these are the mercies of God. And then he also tells us in chapter 5 that we've received security. That we belong to him. And then he says we've received eternal life in him. Chapter 6 and 7 talks about freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Mercies again of God. Here comes the good part the resurrection. We have resurrection because of the mercy of God. We also have sonship that we are the sons and daughters. But then we have an intercessor. And his name is Jesus. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that we can't even understand. But you see, all of this is the mercy of God. And the reason that it is mercy is because it means we don't deserve any of them. I mean, Paul is saying, look, you who have received all of these marvelous things, you who have received the mercies of God, you should do this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. See, God's mercies are many. But chiefly, God provided salvation through Jesus Christ as he hung and bled and died on the cross for your sin and mine that is the mercy of God while we were sinners you know I I love that because that's available to all who will believe see this salvation gives the redeemed right standing with God gives us right standing with him. It gives us union with Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. I mean, what a wonderful thing God has done in that. He has blessed us tremendously. Given us the, the guidance, the direction, the peace, the assurance that we will live on eternally with God in heaven. See, there are other motives that, uh, that Paul could have urged. He could have talked about enlightened self interest. Oh, that gets our attention. What's in it for me, right? What did Jesus say? He said, Don't store up treasure here on earth, but store up your treasure in heaven. Store up your treasure in heaven. And he repeatedly indicated that heavenly rewards are worth seeking. Do it for that. Because your reward in heaven will will be great. Do it because you are escaping eternal punishment. He could have said, well, what about the assurance of salvation? The Apostle John says in 1 John, he says, we know him. We know God because we know him. We belong to him. And I say, know what you know. And who you know. And I, I love that because that could have been his motive behind doing this. Or what about the power of influence? A lot of parents here today. I mean, your Christian influence. We cannot have a Christian influence unless we are a Christian. Think about this. The possibility that even the shadow even the shadow of our unchristian influence might cause our children to stumble should cause us to be dedicated and set apart as a believer i don't want any children to stumble folks that's what we need to be looking at i mean dedication of ourselves to god is an intelligent act you know the king james version says a a reasonable service The Revised Standard Version says your spiritual worship. Now the same Greek word here is translated both reasonable and spiritual. The same Greek word is translated service and worship. Those two uh, are the same words. Because some people wrongly think that to be spiritual is to be unreasonable. I mean, many idiotic and stupid behaviors are committed in the name of being spiritual. Spiritual. But true wisdom comes from God. And God is all wise. And I love that because he is all knowing. He's given us not a spirit of timidity, but of power and of a sound mind. I love that. Moving on, salvation by grace through faith determines our attitude toward the world. I've got a few more things to say. I promise I won't be too long. Just hang with me. See, on a negative side, he says, don't be transformed by this world. In other words, don't be transformed. Don't be fashioned. Stop being fashioned. Don't be in the habit of being fashioned by this world. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. See, in this present evil age, Christians... Are to be salt and light. We're to let our deeds show among men, so that they can glorify our Father who's in heaven. So I, I recognize that that it, it's it's tough for us, but we don't need to be transform- We don't need to be conformed to this world. But he says positively, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But let God remold your mind from within, folks. That's what we need. I love this word transformed because it's the same word used in Matthew 17. It's also the same word used in Mark 9 when it talks about the transfiguration of Christ. That he was transformed. He was transfigured. He was something different than he was before. And they saw that. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's used of the change that takes place in believers when we become more like the image of Christ. And and, and, and by degree, our glory is changed from our image to His image. From one degree of glory to another. Same word, transformed. See, the mind of Christ, which is the goal of the Holy Spirit, has for us, for the mind of the redeemed people, means that we not only think what Christ thinks, but we also have the same spirit, the same attitude that Christ has. Philippians 2 talks about that. So let's get to the good stuff here. The results of consecration, of setting that life apart. I mean, we prove by our experience that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. See, we recognize that there's a lot of junk in the world. But we know from our own life experience that when we do God's will, it is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. We know that. We prove it by our own lives. See, this word proves that he uses here, that, that, that Paul uses in verse 2. So that you may prove what the will of God is, is the same word that Peter uses in 1 Peter 1, 1.7 when he talks about proving our faith. That To describe gold that is being tested by a refining fire. So that you may prove what the will of God is. See, the experiences of our lives prove that God's will is good. That it is the, the supreme good. I mean, when we serve God with sincerity of heart, when we continue, we will continue to experience His reality and His goodness. I like to put it this way, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are under his banner. And his banner, his will, is always good and acceptable and perfect. But you see, when we get outside of that, when we're not dedicated to that, when we're not set apart for that, it creates problems. Because our talk doesn't match our walk. I want to talk just a moment about service worship, and then I'll wrap it up. You know, we're accustomed. We're accustomed to equating worship with what happens in this room on Sunday mornings. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to go to worship. For many of us, we equate worship with the singing that we do together for 20 minutes each week. Do you really think that's all God wants from you? Is 20 minutes a week? I mean, okay, let's expand that to sitting through the sermon that seems to go on forever. It really doesn't. But in our time together, we usually have about 75 minutes. An hour and 15 minutes together. Those 20 minutes of of what we do as as we sing together... ...is considered by some worship. 20 minutes... ...you realize there is a 1,080 minutes in a week. Excuse me, 10,080 minutes in a week. So 20 minutes is two-tenths of one percent. Two-tenths of one percent of our time spent worshiping God. Now, for those of you who are math challenged like myself, that's two minutes for every thousand. Two minutes for every thousand. See, our time together is short. ...comparatively. But I would also say that our time together is important. What can we do to get ourselves ready for this short, important time that we have together each week? I mean, a time that we use for corporate praise and adoration. First off, I would say you need to prepare yourself. Don't come stumbling in here blindly... Tired and bleary eyed from Saturday night's activities. Prepare on Saturday for Sunday. Get ready all week. Come here. Be prepared to worship. And I want to say secondly, be punctual. We only get 75 minutes together. Get here on time. We want to start on time. We want to let you out on time. But the reality is, is a lot of times we come in late. I want to say, look at your posture. Don't spend this time sleeping. You're not here to impress me. We have an audience of one, and his name is God Almighty. I dare to say you will not sleep when you stand before the throne of God Almighty. But we come in here, we're tired, we're, we're harried, we're, we're, we're out of breath, and we sit here and we fall asleep when we are supposed to be adoration for God Almighty. And you know, the thing is, is I, get, I get tired because I know that, that one day we're going to stand before Him. And our eyes are going to be so wide open. Our ears are going to be so open. And we're going to worship Him forever and ever. I mean, I think about that, and I wonder, why can't we, we, I mean, ignite a little passion, people. I mean, think about this. I love it. I love it dearly when my wife says, Ridge, honey, I love you. I love that. But you know what really gets me going? When she comes up and she plants a wet one on my face. And she says, Honey, I adore you. Oh man, it's on. I'm ready. Let's go. The idea, though, is there's some passion there. I don't want my Savior not knowing that I have a passion for Him. Man, He saved me, He forgave my sin. Because of all of these mercies, That he has done. You know Louis Giglio. He said most of my life. I thought that you went to church. To worship. But now I see. That a better approach. Is to go worshiping. To church. I mean while our time together. Is extremely short. But it's really important. I suggest that. God is less concerned with. How this service goes. And more concerned with how. Our service of worship goes outside these walls. I mean, this is our spiritual act of worship. And the phrase here, spiritual act of worship, is really service of worship. Those who are familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system would understand this. Because everything that the priests and the Levites did was considered service in that ministry. Check this out, as believers priests, as a priesthood of believers, when we offer our bodies, we are involved in the sacred service of worship. Worship is not just what we do here on Sunday morning. True worship is the presenting of our bodies as sacrifices, living sacrifices to Him and living holy and pleasing lives every day of the week. We gather together to worship God on Sundays, and then we scatter for the rest of the week to worship Him wherever He has placed us. We might call that everywhere worship. Because wherever the body goes, wherever you go, the church goes. See, instead of thinking of this as a worship service, I'd like to change the order of those words and call this the service worship. Okay? Since God's desire is to make us into the image of his son, his servant son, it makes sense for us to serve like he served. I mean, pick up the towel. Look for needs. Serve in secret. Give without anyone knowing what you're doing. Because consecration to God is acceptable. It's well-pleasing to Him. See, when we are dedicated to God's will, we have inner peace. And I want you to know something. Consecration works. When we set ourselves apart to God, it works. It serves. And to live life in accordance with God's will is both wise and good. Because that life blesses the worshiper. It also is a blessing to others. And it's acceptable to God. I love Isaac Watts' amazing hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. In that hymn, we read these words. Love so amazing, love so divine, Demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Father, I thank you for how you guide us, how you lead us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us in this place. And I ask right now, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on your people. God, that we would recognize that we are not just going to, to church. We are not just going to worship. But Father, our worship is a 24-7 cycle. That Father, we worship you wherever you put us all the time. Father, I pray that we would be that living, that holy, that acceptable to you sacrifice. Holy Spirit, I ask that even in this moment, that you would... Convict our hearts that you would guide us into all truth. That, Father, we would recognize that we need you desperately. Father, you are a great God so far beyond us. And, Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying for our sin and covering that sin. And the fact that we have invited you into our hearts. What a blessing your mercies are. You've given us everything. Father, I pray that we as your people would desire to live lives worthy of the sacrifice that you've given. Father, help us to die to self. Help us to not make it about us. Help us, Father, to be a blessing to others. And Father, that it would be something that is sweet and acceptable to you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we ask you to guide us in this time that remains. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.